0: What works in the world of social media? Today, I'm going to be joined by Saj Adibs, and we're going to talk about video content strategy. Saj is a filmmaker, and he has a very unique perspective that is very easy to accomplish. So if you have been thinking about creating video, whether it be on TikTok, or whether it be longer form content on YouTube, I think you're absolutely going to love today's interview. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike, underscore Stelzner on Twitter. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the social media marketing society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Saja Debs,
1: Helping you to simplify your social safari. <laughs> Here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Saj Adibs. If you don't know who Saj is, he's a filmmaker and founder of Howfinity, a company that helps creators and businesses learn the craft of video creation. His course is called Tube Mentor. Saj, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. Glad to be here.
0: Today, Saj and I are going to explore how to develop a video content strategy. And before we get there, I would love to hear your story. How the heck did you get into films and video creation? Start wherever you want to start.
1: Sure. Initially, I went to film school here in Chicago. And basically with film school, just like everyone else that went to film school with me, we wanted to be film directors. So we went down the whole path of narrative filmmaking, documentary filmmaking. And when I graduated film school, this is maybe 15 years ago or so, I decided to make a documentary, Future length documentary, as my first project. Ended up taking me eight years. It ended up doing well, but it was really a hard road, especially when it came to figuring out how to make money in the world of filmmaking. So as I was doing narrative film kind of documentary work, I started a production company a couple of years outside of film school. The purpose of that was I figured I could make these type of documentary short films for brands because that's really what was going on back then. It was trying to move away from the commercial type, you know, videos, branded videos and more documentary heartfelt type branded videos. So I started working on that, and then that became New Slate Films, which is a production company I still run to this day. About 10 years or so, I've been running that. And then through that transition of basically trying to get better with the video production company, working with a ton of different brands, I came across the whole world of content creation about five years ago. So the company Halfinity, what I run now, in addition to the production company, is kind of what started about five years ago. And with that, I wanted to just... take everything i learned from the world of filmmaking and from everything i learned from working with brands and have our own content platform basically and i started on youtube and it's it's a pretty decent sized channel now on youtube so basically what i learned from that experience is i could combine the two things i learned so i took what i learned from content creation and started consulting with the brands and all the companies i was working with in the video production world so that's why i still do i would say I split my year now in half and I basically spend maybe 12, 1300 hours on one and then 12 and 1300 hours on the other. I keep track of my time. That's how I know how much time I spend.
0: <laughs> well, I wanna ask you a couple of questions about this new slate film. So, when you were going into businesses and it sounds like you're still doing that today, exactly what are you doing? Like, give us a little peek behind the curtain of how you make a narrative documentary, if you will, for
1: business. So this is actually a good time because I just finished one that I was directing it and I had my crew fly out. We went to 13 different states across like 37 days or something. It was pretty, pretty brutal. But the way we make those videos is I learned about what a brand wants to convey. A lot of times they have maybe an annual conference and they want to tell their story or they want to highlight some of the people that work at that organization or something like that. Then I have conversations with those people and learn their story. This is not recorded or anything. I have a phone call or a Zoom call, and I learn their story. I take some notes. And then I craft what maybe a 10-minute documentary would look like highlighting that person. The one we just finished, actually, is about 10 minutes or so, but it highlights many different people. So that's why we went to 13 different states. So it's kind of a compilation of what they call heroes of this profession. So then basically we go and we allocate one day of production per person to tell their story. So we do a documentary day in a life of, and we capture everything they do in a day. Sometimes we compress their entire life into a day. So I'm like, take off work. We're going to do this, 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 this. And then it's a really packed day. So I typically direct those. And then I have a cinematographer that shoots those. We typically hire some people locally to help us with that. A small crew, four people typically. And then we come home and then we have all the footage. I've done this lots, uh, you know, for like 10 years. So I have a pretty good idea what to capture. And then I hand it off to the editor and then she crafts the story and then I review it. And then I decide, Hey, this piece doesn't make sense. This needs to be taken out. And then we polish it and send it to the client. So we do this with fortune 500 companies, a lot of nonprofits do this as well. And they use it again, they use it in social media platforms. They use it on their websites, but most of the times they may use it in their annual conference. That's the really the place I think we do most of our work is for that.
0: So you said about five years ago, you decided to start messing around with YouTube. What are you doing on your YouTube? How big is the channel? What kinds of content are you creating on that? How is that different than the other kinds of content you were just talking about?
1: Yeah, so the YouTube channel right now is around 140 million views in total in the last five years and about 550,000 subscribers. And the... Re- couple of reasons why I wanted to do that in the first place. One and the main one was when I was creating video for clients, if they weren't using it in a conference, let's say they were a small business. I would hand them the video, they would put it on their website, right? They would hire us just to make a video, not to get results from the video. They would put it on their website, they would put it on a YouTube channel that wasn't optimized at all, no thumbnails, nothing. And then I would look at these videos that we spend a lot of money and time creating and they would have like 17 views on YouTube. And I'm sure they did well on their website, but I was thinking, wait, I got to figure out the second half to this. I didn't feel right taking money, doing the video, I, although that's what they paid me for, and not getting them, them the results they deserve from the video or I thought they deserved. So that's sort of why I figured if I learned YouTube, at the time, YouTube was pretty much the only game in town, a little bit of Instagram and Facebook, but I figured if I learned a bit about how video works on those social media platforms, how they could get exposure. I could take the production company to the next level. So it's not just a production company, we're not just producing the video and giving it to you and that's the end of the day. And that's sort of how it came about. And I also was trying to figure out a different revenue model that wasn't tied to a service-based business. I know if you've ever done anything in the world of service-based business, you know, it's a work for hire type of business. So a lot of the creativity is what the client decides, you know, especially when it comes to the videos that we were making, the corporate commercial type videos. So I was like, oh, if we create our own content, not only are we going to learn this part that we're missing, we're also going to figure out another revenue source, basically, for the business. But I decided to spin it off as a different business. I thought it didn't connect with a service-based business. That's why it became two separate businesses. So now affinity is, you know, we do content that is very much search-based. So that's a strategy that I started in the beginning, meaning I use YouTube sort of as a search engine. So if, and I think a lot of people do as well. So when you search for something, a lot of the content we decided to make was around content creation and technology related, just covering different social media platforms and things like that, things that I thought my clients could utilize. So then I started making content based on if someone looks up how to use Instagram for their business, can I have a video that shows up in search? And that was at first my only strategy. I figured I could just do that. And it ended up working pretty well. I think the search-based strategy on YouTube, since it's the second biggest search engine, still works very, very well to this day. So if you look at the channel, I've tried to narrow down the content. I started way too broad. Initially, I was just doing how-to content on like whatever I could think of. I would look up, hey, are people looking up how to get rid of ants in their kitchen? I had some ants came in the kitchen. I was like, oh yeah, that has like 8 million views. I should make that video. <laughs> and, it, and then I would make that video and I was like, oh, I need to change uh, the doorknob in my house. I would make a video and I would use my video production skills. These videos, if you watch them, the ant video, it has like hundreds of thousands of views for some reason on this channel, but it has crazy macro shots. I use like a $5,000 lens to get macro shots of the ants. <laughs> it, it was ridiculous. <laughs> But basically, I walked away from that model of just make how-to videos. That's what we do to make more, basically make videos that don't take a lot of time. Like the Ant video took us three days. Me and this other guy, we spent three days making this video. It's, It's not worth it. So I was like, all right, keep the video production work separate. Keep the content business separate and make the content business actually profitable, meaning don't spend two days, right? So now a lot of our videos take maybe an hour or two to make. That's it.
0: Well, first of all, fascinating story. I'm going to have to look up that ant video. Maybe we'll embed it. <laughs> we'll embed it in the in the show notes. I love your background and experience as a filmmaker who's done a lot of corporate work and also has got a great content strategy on the YouTube channel. So, you know, there's a lot of business people in various walks of life. Some of them are marketers working for a business they don't own. Some of them are creators that love to create. Some of them are obviously entrepreneurs. And, you know, why should they focus on video? Why is video so important these days as we're recording this in 2022?
1: Yeah, that's kind of the interesting part, because when I started the video production company, when I was trying to come up with content back then, really SEO and blog posts, that's really what you did back then. And I remember one of the first blog posts I wrote was why you need video for your business. And back then it was nothing like it is now. Back then it was trying to convince businesses, hey, you need a video, just like probably 10 years before that, like you need a website or your business is not legit. And that was a hard conversation to have. But now I literally never have that conversation. If I do any type of ads and I get any kind of leads, it's never, hey, why do I need video? Because they see In their world, there's videos all over the place, right? And then the more and more every year that goes by, for example, just recently Instagram has become pretty much a video platform, right? And I feel like every platform in the world of social media nowadays, I think really post TikTok is going to go to short format videos and they're going to have a lot more exposure than anything that's ever been out there before. Even the golden days of SEO, really when I was getting started, that was the golden age. That's all you did was SEO and you were good. Now I think that golden age is all video. And what I tell businesses now is at first, instead of trying to come, now I don't really need to convince them that they need video, but I do try to convince them that they need a video strategy because I don't want the same thing that I've seen in the last 10 years where we make a video and it just sits there completely unoptimized. So a lot of times what we do now, for example, that documentary style video I explained, what we do is we chop up that documentary style video. So now you get a lot more bang for your buck. So you don't just get that one thing that shows at a conference or shows on your website. We chop that up into vertical videos. We do pre-roll ads with it. We basically create this offer that has multiple assets to it. So it could have like seven assets. So when a company hires us and we create a video for them, They don't just get the one thing we used to provide. They get everything they want. And it's always customized. So we don't really have, it's not really a product. I don't say like, here's eight things you get if you hire us. I always learn what the company wants to do. So if they want to do lead gen, I know the TikTok ads and the YouTube pre-roll ads in short format could do really, really well. And then I consult them. So what I've learned in the last five years on YouTube, a lot of times I help the clients on the optimization of the video after the fact. So it's really been, honestly, a much easier sell than 10 years ago, where it was like, hey, look, you need a video. It's going to be a thing. Now, that's not at all the conversation. The conversation is, this is how you could utilize video because everybody's utilizing video and you're going to fall behind if you don't have it.
0: I love this. I love what you said that everybody needs video, but what they don't have is a strategy, right? And you need a strategy. So let's talk about, like, if I want to start creating a, series of videos, whether it be for YouTube or whether it be for TikTok or Reels or whatever, right? What do I need to be thinking about when it comes to starting to create videos?
1: So this is something I've changed my mind on since I started on YouTube. So when I first started on YouTube, I thought, hey, you just make videos that people are searching for. That's like the strategy. And it it did work for my channel, but I think it's because it's five years old that had a lot more traction back then where it was all search based. But now, what I really tell people is instead of trying to figure out what type of videos, right? I decided I'm going to make how to videos about content creation or how to videos about tech. But now, instead of doing that, I tell people I think it's a lot easier if you think about your ideal viewer. So kind of create this avatar. Who do you want watching your video, right? This took me so many years to figure out. And still, when I work with my students through my course, they all I think naturally you think of, hey, what type of content should I make? But that's the second step. The first step, who should you make content for? If you know that, it makes it so much easier to come up with content ideas down the road, and it makes it so much easier to monetize your channels a hundred different ways, right? All the different monetization options that comes from YouTube or other social media platforms are tied to the type of audience that you've captured, right? It's about the community you've built.
0: Who are you making videos for? Just so people can hear the example, like you're making videos on your YouTube channel. So who is that specific audience?
1: That So this is sort of the transition I'm going through, right? I've moved away now from just making search-based content. Now I try to focus on making videos for content creators and entrepreneurs that want to utilize videos for their business or to kind of grow their own organic business online. So... I monetize like a TikTok channel. We have a TikTok channel with 600,000 subs- uh, followers on Instagram, on YouTube. And those all are based on a very specific theme. I'll give you a quick example. I have another channel that is related to filmmakers. So for that, I was like, who am I making videos for? I'm making videos for filmmakers that want to create a video production company. Not just filmmakers, I want to level deeper. And the funny part is that channel went from like almost nothing to 20,000 subscribers within a span of like six months, even though it's been around a long time and I just never really uploaded and it has maybe, I don't know, 50 videos in total. It's called Filmmaking Mentor. And because I was so laser focused because of what I just explained, what I learned was I'm going to make very specific content for a very specific group of people. That's the first thing I thought of. Before I was like, I'm going to make filmmaking tutorials. Well, that again, that was a search-based strategy that didn't work for years. I would just randomly make videos. But then I was like, I'm going to teach filmmakers how to start a video production company. And I could tell you when I see the comments, I could tell you most of my audience on that channel are like 28 to 29-year-old male, right, that are filmmakers that are trying to figure out how to make more than 50000 a year. It's very clear to me now exactly who I'm talking to. I have friends that are like that in real life, right? So I'm not just randomly making videos. My avatar, I could draw them for you, right? I, I could show a picture. I was like, Dave, my friend Dave is exactly my target audience. I know exactly who I'm talking. So that just really fast forward that how fast you could grow a YouTube channel because the search based strategy does work, but it takes forever. So if you combine what I learned from search and then you combine it with just figuring out who are you making videos for on top of it, it really accelerates everything, I think.
0: So I love what you're saying about how step one is you got to know who it is you want to target. What's the next thing? Because you said, you know, like making the video is obviously the second thing, but, you know, what about purpose? Like, what about not just who, but what's the purpose of the channel? So let's talk about that a little bit.
1: That typically comes next. So after I figure out, okay, this is my ideal client or ideal prospect or ideal viewer. Then I was like, okay, well, what am I going to teach them? Am I going to teach them? Am I going to entertain them? Um, Do I want them to become my students? Do I want them to become my clients? If I don't know that, again, I make random content, right? I still don't have a good content strategy. Even if I have an exact ideal avatar, I need to know what I want to tell them, right? So filmmaking mentor, for example, I want to tell them the steps of what it takes to grow a six-figure, seven-figure video production company from scratch. And these people, they maybe haven't even made any money yet in the world of video production, right? So my purpose becomes very clear. Teach them how to do that. Then when it came to the monetization strategy, it was like, okay, teach them how to do that for free on YouTube. And then I have a course that I could monetize. And that becomes the business model of that YouTube channel. Same thing with Tube Mentor, where I teach people how to grow a YouTube channel from scratch for their business, for example, that was my purpose, right? I wanted to teach people how to use YouTube and other social media platforms like TikTok in a way where they could use it to generate leads. And then the next step after that was like, okay, now if they want to take it deeper, here's a course they could buy or here's a free webinar they could watch. So that's kind of the second step in the process, I think. You find your ideal avatar Then you find out exactly what you want to help them with and what's the purpose for helping them with that, right? I mean, some people just have a YouTube channel. They just want to help people, right? And that's the business. I think Affinity, the business model is that, right? We make how-to videos. It's useful. (laughs) It really doesn't go too much beyond that in the business model. But everything else I've learned in the last five years, I've created other entities that I think are easier to monetize and easier to turn into a business because I kind of followed this roadmap a little closely or more closely than I did with Halfinity.
0: One of the next questions I think that logically pops into my head, especially for people that work for a company that they don't own the business, or maybe they do own the business, but they got other people working for them, who should be the face? Who should create the content, for lack of better words? Who should be the creator, the voice, if you will, that's in the center of all this content? What's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, again, when I was starting the YouTube journey, I thought it should be a multi- face kind of a channel. So I thought different people that had expertise in very kind of niche topics, they should just focus on that. So if someone was going to make videos about getting rid of ants, they should just make that kind of content and I should focus on, you know, how to set up a camera, right? I shouldn't also make the ant video. And that to me, I think it would work if it's a search-based content channel. But I think as I learn more and more, I realize the face of the channel needs to be one person if you want faster results. If you're trying to grow a company in a 10-year span, sure, get experts from everything and kind of build a platform on the back of it, right? But I think if you're trying to, for example, let's say you want to become known as an expert in lead generation, right? Let's say that's what your company does and you're their CMO or whatever you do there, you're in the world of marketing for them. I think that person should be the face of the channel. And the reason why I found that out is every time I've done that, where I'm the face, by the way, I make 300 faceless videos. I definitely didn't want to. I'm the behind the scenes kind of guy. But as soon as I started introducing myself to the audience, you know, jumping on podcasts, doing anything else where people knew who I was, it's so much easier to grow, right? I'm not just relying on search. I'm not just relying on YouTube or TikTok to suggest my content, right? Now people maybe know who I am, what I know. And then that makes it easier to kind of grow those real fans, right? The fans that are going to stick with you. Even if you switch content strategy, they like you. They think you know what you're talking about, you know, still in the same world of the type of content you make, and it makes it a lot easier.
0: Well, as a filmmaker, why is it that the face makes the difference? I mean, you must, from that lens, have a perspective of, you mentioned faceless videos, and I can imagine just a voice, right? And But seeing the face, what is it about faces and filmmaking? I mean, like, you know this because you do these docu-series, right? So what is it about the human face that really helps make connections with people?
1: I mean, honestly, I think it's all the different things you could do with your face and your hands, right? And you could make faster connections so much easier, right? So for example, those documentary films, if I have a really good soundbite from someone, they say something really inspiring. Usually I end a video with something really inspiring that someone said. Well, I don't cover them with other footage, right? I don't put B-roll on top of what they're saying. I don't show anything else. I want to sit on their face because in addition to the words they're saying, I think they taught us in film school, I think it's 50-50, right? 50 is audio, 50 is video. And with just your facial expressions, you could build connections so much faster than, than with just the words that you're saying. And I think, honestly, that's why I think podcasts, like what we're doing is really move to video too, because there's a whole world that's you're with podcasts, you're utilizing 50%. But with video, you're bringing the other 50% to it. So I always listen to podcasts or watch podcasts on YouTube rather than just audio format. Because I think it's just a lot more powerful when you see someone be passionate about something. That's what I've tried to do. I was honestly, if you see some of my early videos where I came on camera, I look like a statue because I just thought, hey, I shouldn't have a personality. If I want to grow this, if I want to hire other people, I don't want to get actors to do this, right? I want to get normal people. So I started just like very mute, very low energy. And I think I, I sound a little low energy as usual. So then I went over the top on YouTube when someone said that to me. Then people are like, oh, you sound like Kermit the Frog. Dial it back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what's funny? I, I got to tell you, I have an undergraduate and master's degree in speech. And speech is not just the words and the vocal variances that come from your mouth, but it's also the nonverbal things that happen with your face like you said like the smile like like you said the hands like I'm putting my hands out in front of me right now the l- slight look up when you're thinking all these kinds of things send signals to the recipient that they are not going to get if they don't see your actual face right and I think there's something about storytelling and then connections that happen with people I mean, like that's the key to good video, right? Which is to show the true emotions and the emotions aren't just the voice, it's everything, right?
1: Yep, and that's exactly one of the filmmaking channel videos I made. I was talking about the struggles that most filmmakers go through. I think it's called Why Filmmaking Ruined My Life or Something. And that had such a big connection to the audience that was watching it. It wasn't me teaching them something, right? It was just me sharing my story. But because I felt that pain, I remember just being so broke when I started the whole video production business and I couldn't figure out how to get clients on all the things I had to learn. And I just shared it. The video honestly has no value outside of just other people relating to that story. And it's been the video that got me the most emails. It got me the most students. It got me, it it just had the most impact. And then I made videos similar to that after I saw that, because before it was like, you know, how to look at your p in your video production company or, you know, something like that. I'm like, wait a minute. People just want to know that you know exactly how they feel. So then the solution actually makes sense to them. If you're just solution and they can't relate to you, they can't put themselves in your shoes or they don't think you were ever in their shoes, they couldn't relate. And a lot of that came from, I think the delivery of that video because I really, as I was telling the story, I felt the pain. I was like, oh my God, I remember not being able to pay rent. And I remember some client didn't pay me and I needed that money for my car payment. And I just shared those stories. And I think it must have been the way I was expressive. I think that if that was audio only, it wouldn't have not worked at all in the same way that it worked on YouTube.
0: Okay. So here's what we know so far. First of all, we need to really dial in who it is we're targeting with our video, right? Who is that ideal viewer? If you can make an avatar and think about them as a real person, that would be ideal. Secondly, what is your intent or purpose, right? Are you trying to teach? Are you trying to entertain? And ultimately, you're trying to sell. Are you trying to get a lead? Are you trying to essentially develop your influence in a space? And then when it comes to like, who should be the person creating the content? Ideally, it's someone. And I would imagine it's not just any someone. It probably needs to be someone who's comfortable enough with a camera pointing at their face. And maybe that's you. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that part you could evolve. If you're willing to get past the hurdle of making 10 videos, I think you could evolve. Cause I work with, for example, this documentary I was just working on. None of those people have ever been on camera. Right. And I have one day with them. Right. And the interview portion of that day is only like an hour. The rest of it is just capturing the kind of documentary style day in the life up. So I know just from personal experience that I could make someone comfortable in front of a camera, especially when it comes to editing and all the other things you could lay on top of the video where you don't see someone's face. So I think you could evolve to get good at that over time. Again, I think just starting with faceless video like I did actually worked well for me because just doing that hundreds of times, it made me just at least be okay with my voice. And then on camera again, a bunch of the videos are horrible. I never take down any videos, so they're there. If you sort by like oldest, you can see terrible videos that have probably 100 views. But I think the expert part, like you gotta know what you're talking about. That part, I don't think you could fake. I think you could get good on camera over time, but you cannot just make stuff up and then pretend like you know what you're talking about. So if you wanted to create a YouTube channel, again, if you're the expert in the field that you're talking about, it makes it so much easier. And if you have personal experience, let's say you've been doing this for 10 years, Telling stories as part of teaching really takes it to the next level. And that took me forever to learn that. I just thought YouTube is for teaching. And I think a lot of my Howfinity videos are still like that, are teaching because I didn't really personalize that channel enough. But all the new channels, I was like, okay, I'm gonna tell stories. If I'm telling someone how what it takes to grow a YouTube channel, one of my favorite stories is from day one, To year one, that whole 365 days, I made $8 on YouTube, right? Because that makes everyone else be like, oh, yeah. You know, it wasn't until like year three where it was a six-figure business. It just took forever, right? And most people wouldn't do something for a year and see no results. Like you wouldn't go to the gym for a year and you're exactly the same. But I found with YouTube, that's just sort of how it works, right? Other platforms like TikTok, you know, they work different. Like I had exponential growth in that within like six months and got to the YouTube numbers way shorter. But again, back to, uh, I think we were talking about who should be the face. I think you got to be the expert.
0: Well, and you perfectly transitioned to my next question, which is how the heck do we come up with topic ideas? And I want to dig in a little bit on this story stuff. But first I want to just ask it at a, at a higher level. Okay, let's say it's going to be me, whoever's listening to this, and we kind of have an idea who we want to reach. We kind of know why we want to do it and what our intent is and stuff like that. Coming up with topical ideas, obviously is a struggle, especially if you're saying, hey, the days of making videos for search are kind of not really ideal anymore. So how do we come up with ideas? You know, Do you have any recommendations on how to come up with a list of ideas?
1: This is another sort of thing I've learned over time because I always thought your video should start with how to do something, right? That's what I thought people are searching for. And I was using, I mean, I still use it to this day, but there's a couple of tools like TubeBuddy sh- shows you search volume, and there's this other platform called Uber Suggest outside of YouTube where you could see how many people are searching things on Google and YouTube. So I was using those in combination and kind of making a list. But when I when I, you start out on a YouTube channel, I think that still works pretty well if you combine it with another strategy. So I don't think it should be search only. I think it should be search. And you should go after suggested videos. Those are the videos that YouTube, for example, and TikTok just works off suggested right now, where they show the video to the people they think are your ideal viewers, right? So with the suggested video, what I ended up doing is, for example, like if I come up with a video idea uh, from, my, uh, from TubeBuddy, it says, how to grow a YouTube channel to a thousand subscribers. That's a search-based title, right? But then what you could do is not just call it that, but say, this one trick blew up my YouTube channel, right? Now YouTube, I've never had YouTube really suggest uh, any of my search-based content. So if I say how to start a YouTube channel, that's just, it's gonna be if people search that. But when you have clickable video titles and then the thumbnail has to go along with that title, right? So it should be like, maybe I hold a ball that's blurry. You have no idea what I'm talking about, right? You're like, what what, was this one trick, right? And in the video, I make sure I deliver. I do mention this one trick in a way that it keeps you retained throughout the video, right? Maybe it has multiple elements to it. That works so much faster than just making search-based content. So when people start out, I always say, start with search and then throw in some suggested concepts, meaning concepts that are just clickable that if YouTube was a person, you're like, yeah, if I told someone, hey, this one trick changed my life, I was like, I got to click on this thing, What? and then you got to deliver once they click on it. So I combine those two, and then I make a list. So my list has kind of two columns to it. One is the search-based content. So if I use TubeBuddy, I just type in like, for example, if I'm making YouTube content, how to grow on YouTube, right? And it gives me a whole bunch of suggestions, right? How to get 100 subscribers, 1,000, 10,000. Then I take those, and that's my column where I make this kind of master list. I add to it like once a month, I don't know, he has like 1,500 titles now.
0: What do you call that column on the left?
1: That's just search-based column, I call it. So that's just titles that I have search-based column. And those are what I've come up with through my research. Then the column next to it is, I call it suggested videos. And those are me taking the search-based title and thinking of a way to change it where it's kind of the same idea. And the video could exactly be the same, like the content of the video. But then I'm like, okay, how can this be a lot more clickable? Now, for example, for my filmmaking channel, that that's all I do there. I don't even make really search-based content anymore. I started with the strategy. Now it's like anytime I go at bat and I make a video, it's like, how do I make a video that people are going to click on? Like the video I'm making right now is this one book changed my video business, Right. And I don't show the book, right? In the thumbnail. It's just like, makes you want to be like, oh, there's one book that could change your video business. But if I made a how-to title of it, I bet you maybe 30% of people will click, right? Because it's just not going to be intriguing. Okay,
0: I've got to ask. I love this. Did you in the beginning look at Did you take the search query like "how to grow a YouTube channel" and then look at the titles of all the suggested videos and notice that they were completely different? And is this how you came to this discovery, or was this just trial and error?
1: I guess a combination. If you use the search bar on YouTube, right, you're gonna see videos that almost have that same title, right? But if you look on the side, you're like, it's suggesting videos that are different. They don't say how to do something, right? But they're in the same world, so that I think gave me some idea on why I should do that. But it was really the filmmaking channel and when he personally just took off like i haven't seen and in the world of filmmaking by the way there's not that many people so when i at least in the video production filmmaking so when i get like sixty thousand views on a video
0: that's a big deal yeah
1: that's a big deal on affinity that would be like not a good video right it's got to get a million views for me to be excited but in that world it's like that's everyone that's like, you got like most of the people that are going to ever watch a content like that so when that started happening to me, I use it all over the place. I use it on TikTok. I use it on Instagram. I changed the format of my TikTok videos where they're like, it's sort of like the same way. Are you going to click on TikTok is a little different, right? Are you going to stay? So I'm like, I'm going to say the craziest thing in the first minute. I'm going to show you something on your iPhone that's going to blow your mind. I'll say something like that in the first like two seconds. And then those videos sometimes get three, four, five million views. Like the video last week got six million views because instead of making it, suggestive for youtube i just made it where i just focus on the first two seconds and make sure i retain you for the rest of it and i deliver so it, i think it works across all platforms
0: i have to ask this question i mean i know mr beast does this kind of stuff too on a lot of his videos right like he'll have some sort of claim that it's outrageous claim that happens in the first couple of seconds of the video but from a creator perspective how do you not give away the punchline right like if you're doing this book changed my video career or whatever like What's your filler material? How do you keep people watching? Do you understand what I'm asking?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing I found, and sometimes I get a comment where people do get upset at this, but I think it works really well. So in that video, I show the book right away, right? So you think it's over, people are going to click off. But what I like to say within the video is I usually have a numbered list. Okay. This book taught me five things that changed my life or whatever, changed my video production business. And then I typically try, and I don't do this all the time because I think people sometimes don't like when you do that, but I leave something for the end. And I'll just give you one advanced bonus that he mentions at the end of the book that I think you're going to really find useful. So the number list, I think, keeps the retention. The little bonus at the end keeps you maybe till the end, right? Some people are going to be like, hey, why'd you leave the good stuff till the end? So I watched the whole video. I'm like, yeah, well, kind of, that's like, that's sort of how YouTube works. Okay,
0: so so what I'm hearing you say then is, hey, this book transformed my thinking about film production, right? And then you say, I'm going to share with you, I'm going to tell you the title of the book, but I'm going to tell you five reasons why and stick around to the end because I've got this really killer thing I want to share at the end. And then you reveal the book and then you say, here's the first reason why, the second reason why, the third reason why, and the fourth and the fifth, right? So So you are delivering on the punchline really soon, which is this changed everything. But then the bigger question is why? And you're fulfilling the why throughout the rest of the story. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And even if I was making content for for YouTube, it would be like seven ways to utilize YouTube shorts to grow your business, right? So it would just keep you engaged throughout the video. Because if I just say how YouTube shorts could Generate leads for your business, right? Then I don't really have the structure. If I don't, it doesn't even have to be the title. The title could be YouTube Shorts Changing Your Business, but the structure has to give you a reason to keep going. Every time I've done this number structure with a bonus at the end, and I look at my retention graph, most of the times I break 50%, which if you've never looked at it, that sounds low, but in the world of YouTube, no, that's very good. Yeah, if you break 50% on YouTube, I mean, Mr. Beast tries to get 70% and he makes the most insane videos and still 70% <laughs> is his goal because people are going to drop off. You're going to lose like 20% of people in the first like five seconds, no matter what you do. So I kind of learned that from just kind of practicing.
0: You mentioned earlier about telling stories as a big part of teaching. So can you explain how storytelling can work its way into these kinds of videos?
1: So this is a good example of what we were just talking about. So if you're talking about multiple different tips, right? If you in tip number three, for example, it would be for this book, for example, was talking about how to make sure your clients pay you. That's one of the things that was mentioned in the book as one of the tips. So then I could share a personal story of exactly how that affected me. So this is why, back to some of the earlier points, if you're the expert and you have personal experience, that part of the scripting of the video, and I kind of bullet point this, I never write out the full script, but I'm like, okay. Tip number three is this, share a personal story. I write that and then I'll leave a little hint for myself. And I like throw up on the teleprompter. I'm like, oh, the the hint is this. And I was like, oh, this one guy didn't pay me. This is what I did. And he worked for me. And the book says exactly to do the same. And I've done it three times now. And he worked every single time. And I've never not got paid from an invoice. So that's how I kind of tie that in. And they have to be very relevant to your point, especially in teaching format, I found that if I go off tangent and tell a separate story, that's where I watch my retention graph. I love retention graphs because I could see like, oh, you, said, you did this new thing where you just told this random story and everyone left, <laughs> or 20 more percent of people left where normally the graph is just down slope, but not drop off. So then I change it the next time. And again, with the channels that I have that are more focused, and are not just like the filmmaking channel, it's so much easier To do that because I always deliver the same content. So if I do something different, I'm like, did I go up or did I drop it down? And then I change it the next time. But personal stories are huge.
0: You said that you spent like three days filming a video just about ants. And you said now you can get videos done in like an hour. So what's the process? How do you get your videos done more efficiently now? What tips can you share with us?
1: So in the world of video production, it's still super slow, okay? So when I do work for clients, it's so much different than my content creation workflow. It's like when someone sees my content creation workflow, they'd be super confused if they only know me from video production. Because in video production, you show up with these big pelican cases. Everything is in like cases and you got to take them out. You got to build your camera. We have something called prep day for building our camera. It's like a six-hour thing. You got to like just prep your gear right? In this world, I just like press record. So what I learned, and this took me a long time because I just had that mindset of like, hey, take out your camera out of the case, set up the light. So now I have two studios that are just set up like this, right? This is where I do my screen recording. So I have my computer. I have a switcher. I have this microphone and I have another microphone, whichever I decide to use for that day. The lights are on. It's all like voice activated with the little Alexa thing. And I just say, turn on studio. And then I just press record. And then I just go. So as long as I spend 10 minutes outlining the thing, right? So I know what I'm talking about because I can't just press record. I don't understand when people just say, just press record and then do stuff. I don't know how that comes across, but I always outline. Then I take 10 minutes, then press record, right? So I know my titles from my master list. I outline that. Then when I sit down, I know exactly what I'm going to say. It's up on my teleprompter. I just take it from the laptop, put it there. And I just talk like how I'm talking to you now. I like it conversational. In video production, it's all like polished and I would never sound like this, but I think in the world of just social media on any of them, really, I think it works a lot better when you just talk like a human to human because that's, I think, the personal connection that you build. And I basically, the editing process is pretty simple for me. I have an editor that when I finish the video, it's one file. I use this little switcher here. So sometimes I have like an overhead cam or I cut to my computer and it all just makes one video file. So I don't have to, Combine bunch of different video files. I give that to the editor. They spice it up with some graphic. I also tell the editor, don't spend more than like three, four hours on this. Like, because I want this. And they usually give it back to me like the next day. And then since we have a schedule for the videos, then we just publish it and we just do the search engine type stuff with the title and with the, con- with the description. And then I have another person that just makes the thumbnail. So it's just like really polished. I do everything except the editing and the thumbnail, right? Everything else has sort of been me. I think at some point I could get a writer or two to help me just kind of flush out, but I'm just used to going off the script and using bullet points. But I think if you were to like systemize it, that will be the next step. And that's it. I mean, with that, I could do a bash recording session on a Sunday and get seven videos done, right? Because I just kind of becomes a system. I don't think I could ever honestly go back to the days of shooting it like I would shoot for a client and Set up shots for an ant just to get a close up took me like thirty minutes, you know. And like, oh, the lighting's not good. Let me add a hair light. Let me add this light. (laughs) I think those days are over for me.
0: I love, I love, I love the idea that you've created essentially a set that you can just flip on, and you can sit down and you can hit record. I think that is so cool because so many people like get caught up in all the details. And once you have that set, you can just use that same set for every one of your videos. I would imagine most of your YouTube videos have the same background. Is that fair assessment?
1: Yeah, I built a new set this past year, so that's that's not here. But this is just a bedroom. This is like a twelve by twelve square foot bedroom that's just empty in my house. So this is more efficient than the other one. That, but this one, I mean, I still think I could do more to the background, but it works for what I needed to work for. So these two lights just light me up. I sit down and there's no. I literally never set up anything. The the most I might do is I grab this microphone that's out of the shot and like bring it into the shot, and I just press record. And then it records on these little, like this little hard drive. So then this little hard drive, I upload that one file into like a Dropbox folder that the editor has a link to. They don't have to sit next to me. They don't, they could be anywhere, right? They edited, they send me a Dropbox link back. I upload it to YouTube. It, when I wasn't doing that, honestly, it always felt like a chore to make a video. I was like, oh man, it's going to take me like 20 minutes to set up. And the funny part is for a while I was using our video production company gear. So the lights and the cameras and everything, then we would go on a shoot or, you know, I would send Andrew on a shoot or someone else and I would pack this stuff up. And then when I'm like, oh, I can't record a YouTube video. So I was like, okay, this doesn't work. I'm going to buy just all the stuff for this set and the other set. So this microphone, this camera, this lens, none of it ever moves. Because before I was like, now I have production equipment for my production company. Those cameras never get used for YouTube and these never get used for that.
0: Saj, this has been really fascinating. If people want to check you out, where do you want to send them? Do you have a website Do you want to send them to your YouTube channel? And also, do you have a favorite social platform if people want to connect with you online?
1: I think the best place is uh, SajAdibs.com, just my name, S-A-J-A-D-I-B-S.com. That's where I'd really talk more about content creation. You could see my free webinar and courses. Tube Mentor is also there. For everything else on all social media platforms, I do check TikTok and I check YouTube comments. So all of those are under Halfinity. So if you want to find me on TikTok or on YouTube, I will respond under Halfinity.
0: Saja Deibs, thank you so much for answering all my questions and sharing your really extensive background with us. We're way better because of it.
1: Thanks, Michael. It was a pleasure.
0: Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 533. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long-time listener, would you do me a favor and let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world.
1: The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.